Welcome to Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed, a bi-weekly podcast in collaboration with the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons, focusing on expert interviews that explore the insights, habits, and expertise of individuals both in and outside of medicine. My name is Dr. Kara King, and I am your host. I hope you all are doing really well and maybe getting a bit of snow for the holidays. That is, if you like that type of thing. My house is currently ready to explode with excitement. My three kids are literally climbing up the chimney on their Santa mission, so we are ready to rock. Now, I am really excited for part two of Dr. Matthew Barker's interview today. If you missed part one, make sure you go back an episode and take a listen to Matt's wise words about incorporation of APPs into your practice, both in the clinic as well as the OR. Now, today on part two, Dr. Barker opens up about his journey into private practice in rural South Dakota, the logistics of how we move from a creative idea to a full-on amazing APP course, and how he engages his entire team to create a meaningful culture at work. I truly learn so much from this brilliant man every time I talk with him. I hope you all have a wonderful New Year's, everyone. Be safe, and I am so excited to see you all soon in 2022. Okay, friend, I want to move on next to your amazingly brilliant creative brain and how you and the infamous Dr. John Okino created this this conference for for APPs, right? And you were gracious enough to invite me during your inaugural year back in Minneapolis. Like That's probably six, seven years ago now. I know. I was in Madison and you called me and you said, hey, I had this idea and I was totally on board. Can you talk me through like what spurred that and how did you actually take an idea of making a conference just for APPs and how did you actually make that happen? Um, well, I, I don't I don't consider myself entrepreneurial, but you see something that's a need. And I realized all this work that I was doing for my APPs to teach them about articles, to give them talks, to uh, go over surgeries. I'm like, man, if I'm having this issue, I would imagine everybody else in urogynecology has this. And I noticed not that many people were utilizing APPs. There was a few out there, but I'm like, man, this this is the future of medicine. There's not enough physicians and we need APPs. And let's do a course where I think there's a big need for it. And I had this idea that I think this would be well-received. I think it, it's a slam dunk. I can't see it not succeeding. And uh, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a meeting. I think this needs to be a national, national meeting. I called up my good friend, John Aquino, who has a stellar academic career and I've admired and look up to him. And I needed that, that type of person with that type of academic credentials. And I thought we'd be a good pairing. And then I was fortunate. One of my other good friends has had some experience with the International Academy of Pelvic Surgery. Cheryl Pereiro is one of my good friends and one of the most connected individuals in gynecologic surgery. And I brought this to her and she was helpful in bringing that to fruition. And so you're finding the right people. Again, it's creating the team. And we created this team and had a blast doing it. It's still the most fun I ever have just looking at learners as APPs, they just want to consume everything, all the information. They are engaged. They want to stay late. They want to skip the lunch. They want to just learn and ask questions. And that was just such a rewarding uh, breath of fresh air and medicine that you kind of see that any ounce of burnout in my body was quickly removed. 
And so, but I also put I, I also put up my own money. Uh, I, I put myself at risk for a huge financial risk if it was not going to be successful because there's a it's a very expensive to put on a meeting. But I, I stood behind what I believed and I, I took a risk. I'm not Elon Musk type of risk, but uh, I thought this was important and it was for a greater good. And marketing is the whole thing, but this is like I had to talk to everybody, call this, email, and you know, all all these things that go into this uh, were, were key. But I, I think other meetings can occur. We're, we're so, and you know, we're this part of Society of Gynecologic Surgery, and that's still one of my favorite meetings of interacting with with surgeons. And I think I wanted to kind of create that atmosphere for APPs because the SGS meeting is not me hearing a podium speak; it's me sidelining with Dr. King, asking her about ERAS or a question, or I really learn from it. And that networking, and that's what I had hoped to achieve with that APP course. And I think we did. You nailed it. I'm going to be honest. That course is one of my favorite every single year. And I've actually taken your curriculum design and brought it over similar to the SGS postgrad course for this winter. You know, this past year at your course, you did a ton of panels. It was like all panels. You know what I mean? Just like you said, it's, it's it was all discussion and very interactive and engaging. And, and those APPs, they are so smart and they're so engaged. And I learned so much from them every single meeting as well. Oh, definitely. But what's hard I noticed with that meeting is that you want everyone to come back. You want to have that constant engagement. It's kind of their entity, but also people move in and out of their practices. So what I've always been envious of advanced practice providers is like, you know, this hero guy gig's not not for me. I think I'm going to go into orthopedic surgery. Ah, right. Damn, they can. You know, I'm, I'm stuck doing this. I, I got to force myself to love this. This is this is my life. All right, I'm doing it for another twenty plus years. All right, and so I've talked to myself that I might can't. I don't. I don't you know, I don't like feet. All right, I'm not going into uh, uh, podiatry. I'm stuck here doing this, and. So each year you you have new people and you have to kind of change it up. And that's what we've learned. We've had to kind of change it up to kind of meet those those demands a little bit. But yeah, like the discussions and interactions, but they want to learn everything. And I I think you could do it for MIGS. You could do it for REI. There's so many facets where it could be utilized, where I think there's a big growth for continuing medical education for APPs. I agree. And there's, you know, we a huge push here and everywhere for everyone to be working at the top of their license, right? And so I think one one aspect that many institutions struggle with is having APPs work at the top of their license, meaning they are extremely capable clinicians, and to utilize them there is really where the magic happens. And again, that's that's engagement. That's 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 passion. So, and it's not just true for APPs. It's true for your schedulers. It's true yes. for your nurses. And in my clinic, you know, I, I try to find where they have interest. So, I, one of my APPs was interested in, in uh, postpartum trauma and mm-hmm. treating those patients, and she was instrumental in helping us start our clinic here for that. Other ones are interested in sacral neuromodulation, or they ha- they have little niches. So, you you, you got to give everybody some ownership. And same with your nursing staff. Um, some of my nurses like to do more procedures, hands-on. Some of them are good at uh, care coordination. So, we have a nurse navigator. And then my schedulers, we have one that's really good at, at scheduling surgeries and kind of everyone finds their niche yeah. and you go have them pride in their job. That's, that's, you know, it's that retention aspect to it and, and providing that, that ownership for those APPs and, and having them give talks at your courses or have them go out to give a community uh, talk on, on a certain topic. That, that, that engagement is so, so important. It makes them feel valued as they are, but sometimes it gets lost. So, Huge kudos to you for for recognizing that. And 
for people who are listening who might have um, APPs that they're working with, do you have any resources that you've utilized or that you've created that people can use to help, I don't want to say assess their APPs, but even just like check off milestones on where they're at or a curriculum on what, where they could reach to be? Do you know what I mean when I say that? I do. The societies have been fairly proactive at doing that. The American Neurologic Association has information regarding APPs and kind of they follow a similar curriculum of residents. And I would encourage to do that. Uh, what your resident for MIG surgeons or for urogynecologists, those expectations, I would have those things to kind of measure their their depth. And, and I sign off on if they want to do endometrial biopsies or if they want to do uh, vulvar biopsies or watching them do a POP-Q exam or how to do a pessary. You know, I kind of assess them hands-on and and see, do, teach, unfortunately, still persist, but I think that's important. The American Urogynecologic Society has great information uh, regarding APPs and assessing. There's different tiers of those levels where they can kind of assess them, and, and it's in having that, that engagement. I'm, luckily, I'm so small, I, I can just kind of go in and talk to them, and I kind of know their deficiencies, and I'm a big believer in correcting right then and there. So if the mistake mm -hmm. happens then, I don't wait two weeks and then meet with them and talk to them about that. So my approach is a little bit direct, but in our office, everyone has taken this kind of, not a personality exam, but kind of a, uh, a test of what, how people like to be spoken to, how they learn yeah. from things. So trying to use that uh, in their engagement. And I have a wonderful manager that helps me with those things. You're so right. Style matters. I talk about this a lot with surgical coaching where some people style is introversion versus extroversion versus promotion versus prevention, right? There's different mindsets that people have and just acknowledging that those exist and then tailoring feedback to that can make it just feel so much different to the recipient. Oh, a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of information on learners and there's a lot more literature coming out. Like you said, there's some great studies that people, you know, different age and generational aspects. So, you know, my clinic is 22 to 60, all right, in terms of people and different backgrounds and so all, all, all those aspects of it. Uh, but I know this is a surgical podcast, but if your clinic runs smoothly, your operating room will be busier and you'll be more efficient. And so it, it's kind of balancing those things. And I'm fortunate to be in my field where it's 50-50 and I like both. No, it sounds like you're living the, the dreamboat clinic there. I, you just have so much control over your schedule. You have so much control over the people who are working around you. I can see the appeal to going into a practice like yours. Right? Well, you, you should interview them on a podcast to make sure I'm not full of beans on this thing. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm one of these people, I like to work. I, I remember mm -hmm. I interviewed for a job in, 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 a, in a southern state. And this guy's like, Matt, you worker. You worker, Matt. <laughs> and I'm like, what kind of question is that? I'm like, am I going to lie? I'm like, no, I'm lazy as hell. I don't want to do a damn thing. I'm like, I went through medical school. I, I think, uh, you know, I had a paper route. I, yeah. I, I think I am a worker. But my office staff knows that I like to be busy. I like to see patients. I like to be moving. And uh, everyone has a different personality. And I always tell them the physician set the personality of the clinic. And yeah. I, for your young listeners that are starting out the practice, you have such an important position to set the vibe. And I have this rule. No one, you know, I'll get mad and I'll, I'll swear at myself in the OR or something like that. Or you might raise your voice if something really terrible happens. But in the clinic... It's got to be sunshine, roses, lollipops, and rainbows because we got to keep everybody happy because any tumultual thing or drama, those patients pick up on it in seconds and you're, you're out of luck. Such a good point in that as physicians, we, I mean, we drive the culture, whether we like it or not, right? People look to us when things 
things hit the fan, we're the experts and we need to have the answers. And so really acknowledging the important role that we have in regard to culture and mood and how we value other other people in our workplace, that's, that's huge. That comes from the top down a lot of times. 100%. podcast without without talking to you about your piano a little bit more my what your piano, my piano? your piano lessons oh my god well I, I gotta say so you know I, I i married well my life was pretty boring all right yeah. and i met this beautiful jamaican woman and so as i come back i get through training i move back to south dakota i learned to ride a horse i've never ridden a horse before so she's got <laughs> me riding a horse all right and for an anxious young dude who didn't even walk his dogs, I'm riding horses. <laughs> and then uh, I really, one of my regrets in life, as everyone is, I should have taken piano lessons. And I'm like, well, how can I get my kids to take piano lessons? Well, I'm going to take it with them. And I, and I loved it. But it's hard to learn new things as we get older. Yeah. And, and the same thing is like with medicine, why I'm constantly staying in that repetition, doing the same movements every time, you know, really thinking through those things. As we, as we get older, it's really important to kind of keep those skills, keep those practicing. It's not necessarily operating, but those practicing things. And I, I like music. I'll never get to the, the point where I want to do, but I, I'm having fun doing that. But I think I've had more fun uh, riding horses with my, my wife and my family and engaging the expected uh, life you think I'd be living in South Dakota. Like if I was in Boston, I'm like, you're sailing? And I'm like, no, I'm not sailing. Uh, but I'm like, I'm like, what do you do in South Dakota? And if you like ride a horse, they're like, oh, okay. Obviously. Uh, that's yeah, what you do. You know, it's like if you're practicing in Florida and you're Southern California and you're like, you know, not golfing, you know, what's wrong with you? I'd like to make a point that you're not just riding horses though, Matt. You're like playing polo, right? Aren't you like hitting a ball or something? You are. So we, we have a, uh, we call it cowboy polo out here. It's nothing where I, I don't think, uh, you know, fancy hats and uh, fancy cars exist in our state, but it, it's really a nice group of people and we travel around the community and, and play. And it's one of the, if you're at, athletic. And, and this is another, another pearl. You know, I, I, I played like not a lot of team sports going up, but like the most successful people in medicine are people that have played on team sports because of that team aspect of it. And uh, polo is a team sport. And not only do you have the dynamic working as a team, it's you're riding a 1,500-pound beast at 20, 30 miles an hour and hitting the ball. But as soon as you do it, it is the most fun I've ever had. It's the coolest thing I've ever done in my life and a thing I really enjoy. And I get to do it with my wife, who is a, a very accomplished horsewoman and has a passion for it. My little girl likes to do it. Uh, I don't think she'll play polo, but if she does, great. But I am fortunate that I live in a community where having a horse is not uh, a crazy expense. So fun. I want to post some pictures of that with this podcast link. I'm not going to lie. Sioux <laughs> <laughs> Falls Polo Club. <laughs> You're so awesome. I've had the best time with you. Are you kidding me? My God! I don't want people to think I'm pretentious because I play a little polo, but I, you know, uh, I, it is the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. Second only to a vaginal hysterectomy because, like, my my, if I die and the good Lord accepts me in heaven, yes, I hope I'm doing vaginal hysterectomies on all the women that didn't have a hysterectomy by you. All right, that is oh my uh, how I. I think that is like a vaginal hysterectomy is like my favorite surgery in the whole world. 
it defines you as a gynecologist. That's what makes us gynecologists, our ability to do a vaginal hysterectomy. And it's like my favorite procedure to do. I just, I love it every day. I, I, could, I could do that all day long. I think it's a beautiful operation. And it's like, that's my happy place. My happy place on a horse is when I get off. Uh, but otherwise, <laughs> it, it, is, it is thrilling and I'm excited. But my happy place is when I'm walking away from it. Oh my gosh. So like when you go to heaven, you still want to do hysterect- vaginal hysterectomies. That says so much about their true passion for your job. Yeah, you just you gotta gotta find things you like. As I tell medical students, if you you gotta find the things that you enjoy that you go home every day. You know, we all have a hard job. It sucks. The EMR sucks. It's we've seen all these things. <laughs> Nothing's easy. Life is hard. You you never make enough money as you think you should. You're not valued. It's you're taken away from every type of family affair that you could ever imagine. And you got to find the things that, that drive you every day because people are indebted to you. Um, and you might not always do the right thing, but you, you try your best. And, and if you find those little areas that, that bring you joy and, and, and surgery should, should be that one or else you shouldn't be in surgery. I love that. I love that so much. It's true. It's true. And I can't imagine a life without the OR, which means we're in the right field for sure. Oh, 100%. And I can't imagine my life if I had not done this podcast because I am just humbled to even be on here. And you, you have brought so many wonderful people that I've looked up to in my career on these programs. And you bring in so many new people that are doing really cool things. And I think the podcast, just that, that personal touch and how you hear people speak and kind of see their personalities, it, it's so fun to see that ring true. And the fact that you brought it, some humanism to, to our field is, is uh, uh, we should all be indebted to you mm. and SGS for doing this. It's, you're right. It takes a village. And I appreciate your kind words so incredibly much. And just the colleagues we work with, right, Matt? Like the people around us are brilliant. I'm just so taken aback by all of our colleagues. Uh, tell me about it. I go to meetings and I see him and my shoe becomes untied. I really feel like <laughs> in- inadequate around some of these individuals. <laughs> oh my gosh. Kara, thank you for doing this. You are, are a wonderful friend, colleague, mentor, extraordinaire in this, in this field. And they're very blessed to have you at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, we are very blessed to have you as part of Society of Gynecologic Surgeons. And thank you for for being a role model to all the future surgeons out there. Matt, I can't thank you enough for your time. I really appreciate you so much. You're also such a true friend of mine. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. That is all for this episode of Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed. Join us next episode for more expert insights and perspectives. From all of us at the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons, thanks for listening.